Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome everyone to a new edition of the New Cyber Frontier. I have with me today a very special guest, uh, Dr. Savash Paluru. Uh, he's coming for, to us from Sacramento, California. He is the CEO of Freedom Motors, a company started around 1997 uh, time frame. A very unique industry uh, focusing on renewable energy uh, in various types of motorcraft. Um, so, uh, Dr. Palaru, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. Great. Well, you know, it's it's great having um, somebody with your diverse background. Um, you have a PhD in physics. Um, you know, in in the contribution to the show today is going to be focused on some technology that we're we're really not used to seeing. Renewable energy focused on the mechanics and the engineering of of motors. Can you give us a, a little bit of a background on your company and, and what it is that you do? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm the chief executive officer of Freedom Motors, uh, joined in 2018, right after I retired as a senior executive from the U.S. government. Uh, uh, my job is, to, of course, as a CEO, is uh, uh, primarily to focus on taking Freedom Motors uh, from uh, being an R&D company, a research and development company, to a mass manufacturing and a positive cash flow company. So that's my that's my uh, uh, agenda and my job. Uh, most importantly, what Freedom Motors does is Freedom Motors uh, has a, 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 a range of uh, engines that we have developed. They are basically rotary engines and everybody would say, why would you need engines uh, in this day and age when there are plenty of EVs? So let me give you an example. EVs have uh, uh, something we call range anxiety. You know, so we, uh, people cannot drive farther enough. You need a very good uh, power infrastructure to charge the vehicles uh, on the highway. I mean, not just US, but the entire world, because we are not the only ones who are going to change the world. It's the entire world, we need everyone to do it. So how do you fix that problem? Well, either you need charging stations or you need a mechanism that can be on board a car that could charge a car in a wireless driving so you can extend the range of the vehicle. But now comes in what kind of charges you want to put in. I mean, uh, are they renewable? And what is the carbon footprint of that and all those things. So we had the vision to develop these engines that run on methanol or ethanol, specifically renewable methanol, where we are carbon neutral. So we don't, we don't produce any carbon when we burn that. And, and our engines, uh, the, the future, the next generation ones that we call it compound, those engines, uh, you can't even hear them. They, I mean, it's just basic humming noise. And they can sit in the back of the car, one cubic feet, and it can produce enough juice to charge your batteries in the car. Hence, extending the range of your car uh, infinitely. You know? So, so that's the theory, right? So, what you're doing is you're taking care of Mother Nature, but you're also helping 
the industry to fuel the EVs for the future generation. So that's that's the key. That's the uh, thought that we have, and we also have like aviation. Well, uh, the drones. The, the only reason why we can't fly taxis today is because of the limitation of the batteries. So how do you fix that problem? Well, our uh, aviation principles and our models that we have today, that we flew almost 200 times, uh, we don't need batteries. We use our engines, eight of them, uh, in, in a specific order, and we can fly it. You know, like for two hours at 75 miles an hour, you know, two hours is basically big, good enough for an air taxi within, let's say, California, you know. So, so uh, we have done those technologies. We have advanced those technologies in that, uh, in that aspect. So overall, our focus is renewable energy, using the technology to help uh, mitigate carbon uh, footprint, and also uh, enhance you know the other technologies. You know, make them work better. That's awesome. Um, so. You know, you we're talking about technology being able to be uh, less of a carbon footprint. Um, of course, that's been a focus for, for decades now, at least in theory, uh, actionable uh, technology. You know, you, you guys, um, your organization has over 49 pat or you have 49 patents, uh, 15 intellectual uh, property um um, concentrates yep in, within your organization and so those focus on uh, those things that kind of make the world a better place while providing new technology and, and new capabilities um, let's go back and talk about um, you your organization so you know you spent uh, a lot of time with Department of Energy um, you retired as an SES is that what I heard mm -hmm. okay that is correct. <laughs> so um, you know we're talking about a uh, a high-level government leader within the Department of Energy. So um, you've probably seen a lot of things throughout your career uh, from the U.S. government side that helps contribute to your success in your current position as CEO uh, for Freedom Motors. Um, tell us a little bit about your background um, at right after this. The, we're going to take a short break, but I'd like to come back and have you talk uh, a little bit about your background. Where did you come from and, and how did you get uh, how did you get introduced to where you're at today. And so we're going to be right back with Dr. Savish, uh, Savesh uh, Palaru um, from Freedom Motors. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. 
Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Murray. We're talking to Dr. Palaru from Freedom Motors out in uh, Sacramento, California. Uh, just gave us a great overview of some of the uh, accomplishments that they've made since 1997 uh, in the renewable energy motor space. Um, what I'd like to do is kind of focus a little bit on who you are. Where, where did you come from? What's your background? Absolutely. So I was born and raised in India. Um, and uh, uh, ended up doing my PhD uh, in India and then came here to venture into postdoctoral research. And uh, in 1999, I published my uh, uh, paper in ITW Transactions and Superconductors with a professor at Arizona State University, uh, Patrick Phelan. So after that, uh, it was time to uh, go get a real job. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was married and my wife was pregnant and, you know, so on and so forth. Those, those things that we can't ignore right, in life. So uh, I went ahead and I had this uh, uh, tremendous idea at that time to uh, see what we can do to help uh, mitigate the deregulation of the energy industry. And I, I read a lot of books, and you know, which comes naturally for uh, somebody who has written theses and PhD in public, right? So uh, I went ahead with the idea of creating uh, uh, a software, so to speak, that can trade energy online. Uh, one of its kind in the United States and uh, uh, one of our uh, uh, close friends of ours, he liked the idea, so he put the money in and voila, we had a startup. Uh, we carefully planned it and, and uh, it, the, the company grew so big that uh, the U.S. government got attracted to that software and the DOE invited us to do everything for them in the energy trading side and controlling the grid side of the, uh, uh, the software. Uh, we call it SCADA. Uh, you know, and then uh, uh, once we got in, uh, after a couple of years, uh, a few years working uh, on the contract side, uh, the government said, uh, Subhash, you're very valuable to us. Why don't you become a U.S. government employee? And they offered to uh, uh, recognize my contract time in the government as federal time, which is extremely important. Uh, so I accepted uh, because uh, I wanted to do something for this country, which has given me so much for coming here and you know, taking care of me. So I started my career there in actually the SCADA systems and control systems on the grid side. So basically the most important focus was controlling the grid. Number two was cybersecurity of that and physical security of that. So that's my forte. And from when I went on to become the CIO, the regional information officer for the entire region in Sacramento, uh, which is basically we call them the CVPIA, the Central Valley Project, and uh, the Washoe Projects, which is like most of California and Nevada. So I became the RIO uh, of the the, uh, the entire enterprise for the U.S. government. We all uh, uh, developed scale systems, softwares, and also cybersecurity and physical security of that. And then I, uh, I was called. Uh, by DOE, they saw my talents, they saw what I did, so they, they called me and uh, I did a brief stint as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for DOE. I ran the Power Systems Engineering Research and Development at that time, which also had, uh, uh, it's called SETS program, Cyber Cybersecurity for Energy Delivery Systems. 
And uh, I was also uh, a pioneer in the physical security and securing uh, the substations and the physical assets of a power grid. Uh, I went on to uh, acquire my top secret SEA clearances in the US government. So uh, I've heard, seen, got briefed on a lot of issues on that. We developed several systems uh, uh, to protect the grid and all that. So uh, most importantly, my, uh, my, uh, mo uh, the, the base, uh, the foundation of my career in DOE was technology to markets. You know, when I was up in DOE, it was attracting good technology that we can fund them, you know, we can provide them grants so that it could be for societal benefits. And then later they become, I mean, how they can bring that technology to market. So that was what I did. And then after 2018, you know, after several years of service, and you know, I took an early retirement. You 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 take a re you resign and then you defer your retirement from sixty two. So I was young enough to retire, and you know, and uh, old enough to continue to work in the U.S. government. So <laughs> so it was time to venture out in private industry. Uh, and then I got a call. People knew in California that I was retired, and I was invited to meet the board of Freedom Motors. You know, and they saw that unique ability of mine to recognize the technology and. Uh, and take that startup to uh, success. So that's what I do now for Freedom Motors in a nutshell. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what a what a great background. Um, you know, Department of Energy, um, one of the oldest departments uh, within our federal government um, with our, our fingers in a lot of sensitive things uh, mm -hmm. from, you know, developing, um, you know, energized weapons of different sorts to, um, you know, what you're explaining, uh, you know, power distribution systems. Uh, I know um, we have a, a large InfraGuard uh, part of the FBI here in uh, Colorado in our, our chapter up in Denver. There was a strong focus on the energy sector uh, threats here a few years ago, uh, predominantly because people were stealing copper out of substations in the middle of a farm and stuff. And so you, it's kind of weird stuff that you may have seen previously as well, right? Uh, um, but you I've know, seen some photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ones that we were shown... Uh, uh, somebody obviously didn't know what they were doing. They uh, they actually got into one of these little tiny substations in the middle of a farm, and um, as they were taking the copper, they had a keychain with lots of keys on it. They all got you know, he must have not grounded, and and they welded all those keys because the evidence was still there. But the right. uh, the the person apparently didn't die. But um, yeah, the kind of weird stuff that you see out there. Um, Absolutely. But uh, great background, obviously uh, well transitioned uh, into your current role with uh, Freedom Motors um, and, you know, the contributions that uh, you're going to be making there. Um, you know, during a pandemic, how does uh, Freedom Motors adapt to, um, you know, going back, you know, 49 patents, uh, 15 intellectual property um, uh, areas and, what is it on site? Uh, talk about the organization from a collaborative uh, perspective. How is it that ideas come um, to your organization, and how do those uh, those ideas come to fruition? Absolutely, fantastic question. Actually, it is one of the biggest issues for any uh, uh, startup. Actually, uh, the most important thing about any startup is the idea itself. 
you know, the next most important thing is the leadership, you know, uh, because leadership actually uses that idea and makes it, it brings it to fruition. So ideas come from uh, to us from uh, two ways, right? One is uh, from science perspective, and uh, the second one is the real world problems. So, so uh, when we see science and what we can do, and when we see real world issues, we bring them together and try to create a solution for that. You know, so, so most importantly, uh, all the science part of it is uh, our founder, Dr. Muller, and the ideas, the, you know, the implementation of that technology the viability of the technology in the market, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, my job is to put Freedom Motors in positive cash flow, you know, so I have to make sure that technology actually uh, is attractive for the markets, you know, and uh, and the, the, the cost is, you know, there's a cost benefit analysis that needs to go in there. So that's what we do together. And when once we know that this this technology is a viable technology, the first and foremost thing is to uh, bring the core executives together to see how we can create a trade secret around it. Because most trade secrets are so vulnerable that you put a product out there and then there goes your trade secret. So you have to manage that. So the first thing that you do is, uh, I mean, God created a USPTO, you know, so you have to rely on that. Now, um, the first thing we do is uh, apply for provisionals to make sure that we have a good uh, coverage on that. And within a year, you go for either utility or design. Very important. That 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 uh, philosophy has uh, given us a lot of traction in our business. What we do, and hence we have 49 U.S. and international patterns. You know, uh, and uh, how we protected uh, that. You know, it's 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 very important because not just out there that you protect, but internally how you protect your data. You know, uh, it, uh, protecting data is like limiting that information to the core executives, limiting that information. Uh, the next line of information when we convert that into uh, uh, the real technology is to our production managers and you know uh, the engineers so they can implement that in uh, the, 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 uh, the, the device or the, uh, the widget itself that we, we build. That's the most important thing. Trade secrets are, they're, they're the most vulnerable. You have to decide as a leader what can still stay as a trade secret you know, uh, or and what can be converted that into uh, a patent? For example, now we have decided, well, we signed up with a, a large uh, 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 investment banker out of Wall Street. So s since we did that, now our plan was to take half of them and convert them into patents. There are still some which we continue to keep that as uh, a trade secret. And for example, we, we developed a coding with NASA that goes on top of our engines, you know, and, uh, but the, the, the issue here is everybody knows what kind of coding we do, but nobody knows at what temperature, what's the annealing temperature is, um, uh, uh, what's the thickness of the coding is, you know, and uh, that cannot be patented. You patent that, it doesn't matter. You know, people will still use that. So you have to keep that as a trade secret. So this is how we managed our uh, information within our organization. Well, that's a great example. Um, 
you know, the, the, the amount of effort that goes into uh, protecting your intellectual property, um, you know, from, uh, from the trade secret side to the intellectual property on the patent side, uh, balancing what should be disclosed and what can be disclosed. Um, these are great things that, to come back after this break and talk about from an information security or cybersecurity perspective. Um, we are talking to Dr. Palaru from uh, Freedom Motors out of Sacramento, California. Um, we're going to come right back after this break and continue our discussion. Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Murray. We have Dr. Palaru from uh, Freedom Motors. Uh, he's given us a great background on himself, his company, um, you know, some of the technologies, uh, the contributions to the energy sector. Um, you know, some of these things are are, are pretty sensitive. They're they're providing capabilities for um, you know United States and international governments, uh, different types of technology, and, and focusing on renewable energy. Um, so when you have as much intellectual property, trade secrets, um, as, as your company does, and you've been around since 97, um, you know, that, that's the footprint, right, uh, before the startup. And that's a lot of information that needs to be protected. You talked a little about, uh, about how you separate a trade secret from um, a patent and, and that information needs to be protected. And you're, you're, you've had a lot of acquisitions over the years uh, of different companies. How do you protect that information? How, what does the cyber hygiene look like at, uh, at uh, Freedom Motors? Absolutely. So uh, with my background, you know, it helps a lot because uh, we protected some real sensitive information in the U.S. government, in DOE, you know, and... Uh, and actually, I'm, I continue to be a part of InfraGuard. Uh, so, uh, so uh, those principles have been applied to freedom movement. It's, it's most importantly, it's the awareness. Where you store the information, how you store the information, how you sanitize it, who has access to it. You know, and uh, uh, the, the one thing that we have to, or two things basically, that we have to leave it at the door of freedom motors is number one, complacency. And number two is uh, having this uh, uh, accessibility issues. Right? Oh, it would be nice if I can access patent information from home, right? No, those things are no, no. <laughs> if you want to have that information, you better drive up there and do that. Having said that, there are some limitations to it when we have our patent lawyer, the patent law firm, out of New York in Wall Street. So how do you deal with that? You know, then, then you have to create uh, very good uh, 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 data portals where, uh, you know, the, in, in the U.S. government, we talk about two things, management controls and technical controls. You know, technical controls itself uh, will stifle innovation and will stifle uh, your progress. 
You know, so you need to have certain management controls and good awareness from the executives that, hey, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that, you know, and the technical controls will also prevent certain things from happening. You know, like uh, some uh, some issues that you have, but uh, that unconsciously you do, but the the, the system slaps uh, on your hand and says, oh, oh, you can't do that. You know, so those are the things that we put in place. For example, we never communicate about any data uh, in an email. The only email that we communicate with our lawyers up in uh, New York is, hey, look at this information and. Uh, send back that information to us in a, through a memo. So we put a memo, uh, we created a structure in our insecure portal, and that memo, uh, they read it, and they reply to that memo in that uh, directory so we can read it. And then when we have our conversations on uh, uh, on Zoom or something, it's highly secure. You know, we make sure that nobody's invited and all that. You know, And uh, things like that, we actually really follow uh, to the core. And when it comes to uh, where we store, uh, only certain people, like five people in the entire organization has access to that information. You know, and uh, we don't give out that information to anyone, including our customers. You know, uh, We have a good understanding with our customers that, hey, when we give you the prototype, we're actually giving you uh, uh, most of the information, but we also sign really good very strong legal contracts and binding. So, so we have a good understanding uh, with our customer. Uh, it actually uh, reduces the speed of your progress because now you have to build that relationship with your customer before you get in there. You know? But uh, we are fortunate that our investors understand that, that the, the timeline is a little slow compared to any other industry because, because of the humongous amount of technology and IP that we have. So every every company is different how you manage it, but in our case, we have to be extremely careful because it's it's a game changer in my mind. This technology uh, is really a game changer in this world. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good focus. Access control is one of the most significant access or information security protection mechanisms. In, in, in I like the, the focus on managerial controls, plans, policies, procedures, thou shalt do this or that, um, controlling human behavior, because we know that that's the number one most significant risk to our information systems. Um, and then the other being the technical controls. What is it that we put in place that will, you know, enforce a security control that says, uh, you're not supposed to be accessing that, or you can only access that between nine and five, Monday through Friday, not on the weekends, um, not remotely. And so, um, you know, focusing on access control, I mean, you go back to the, the Ed Snowden uh, story. You know, we know what happened there, but you know, we uh, we had a, a CISO summit in at RSA in in 2017, and we had three CISOs. We had the CISO from Macy's Department Store, the CISO from uh, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Voya from the uh, he was a CISO for City of San Francisco, and then we had Ed Snowden's boss. And so we talk about how complicated it all looked and what went down, and it it really came back to access control. Uh, back to your point, and so uh, he was hired as a admin um, but then he got promoted so he didn't have access to the intelligence information just had access to the systems to be able to manipulate the systems gets promoted to intelligence analyst what do they forget to do 
remove his access as a sysadmin. So um, back to your point, it's really important to understand the technical controls that we put in to restrict that access as well. You know, we're, we're coming up on our time. Uh, we've got a, a couple of minutes left. Dr. Palaru, where do you see you guys um, in the next, say, five years? Excellent question. So this is exactly what our uh, investor also asked. I said, three years from now, we'll be a billion dollar company. Five years from now, we'll be a $3 billion company. And I stand by it because my strategies are put in place and, and, uh, and uh, my board has the concurrence. They said, it's a great strategy. And if we meet this target of production, then we will get to this valuation. That's the most important thing. And where do we want to be? I don't, I mean, for me, money and success is not the only thing. Uh, our agenda is, is to do something good for this world, you know, and good, uh, good in the sense where people have not been able to do it, should be able to uh, realize through our technology. Now, uh, it's not that uh, the petroleum products are bad. It's just that what we use today is a bad way of using it. And you know, how do you make use it in a better way to reduce the, the carbon footprint? So that's our mission uh, hopefully in five years we will be there where we want to be hope is not a strategy but always hope helps <laughs> well yeah good investing uh, good awareness um you know uh, contributing back out to the the public uh, awareness um and then getting the other countries that are more uh, aligned to the the fossil fuel or that that carbon footprint to uh, uh, you know have them adjust things as well. It's got to be a unified approach across the globe. But uh, we're glad to see that uh, Freedom Motors is contributing um, to that that next future of generation of renewable energy um, to be able to allow. Uh, companies, organizations, governments uh, to actually reduce a, a carbon footprint while continuing to contribute uh, on the intellectual property uh, fronts as well. Um, you know, uh, I, I just I, I come back and in, in to to look at new uh, the uh, Freedom Motors. Um, I'll actually be taking a look a little bit more where you guys are at. I'll be reaching out as well. Um, those are the types of things that I like to promote within my personal networks as well. I do appreciate your contribution um, to the the podcast today, uh, Doctor Palaru. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, you have a great week. You too, sir. Thank you very much. I totally appreciate it. And yes, you can always reach out to me. I can give you more insights in Freedom Motors and where we are headed. Uh, that'd you. be great. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you on the next edition. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. You as well. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.